Well, hello, everyone. How are you today? Alexis Brooks here from Higher Journeys back with another episode of Conscious Commentary. I want to get right into the topic for today because there's a great deal to be said about it. So we're going to get right into it. Here's a question. And as as many of you know, I I love to to really frame these discussions, not on a definitive uh, idea or hypothesis, but rather a question, because after all, we're all here exploring. And one of the things is, uh, you all know, Higher Journeys is known for is exploring what we call high strangeness, the unusual, the anomalous. So here's the question I want to put out today, and then we're going to dig in a little bit on the very question, which is, are some people wired for paranormal encounters? Are some people let's just say, habituated toward having anomalous experiences all throughout their lives. Now, I'm not going to immediately answer that question. But in fact, I I may not, (laughs) certainly not definitively answer it at all. But it is a question that I have often asked myself. For the simple fact that I have had throughout, uh, particularly my adult uh, career and my adult life, individuals who I've known, who are constantly telling me about an experience that falls within the unusual, the anomalous, uh, over a course of years. And I think to myself, why does this person always seem to magnetize, let's just say, these sorts of experiences? So I thought I'd explore this. I'll tell you what the impetus was uh, on this particular occasion, and I love it when this happens. I happen to be listening to uh, an interview that I did with UFO uh, researcher extraordinaire, Mr. Richard Dolan. We've had him on the show several times. Uh, And something called me to listen to a show that we did, uh, probably, I think it was the first show we actually did a couple of years ago, uh, entitled E.T. Encounters of the Humankind, in which he told some stories. These are just stories. He's known for his hard research. But in this case, he shared several very bizarre accounts of individuals who feel that they had been in the presence of and in some at some level, uh, communicating with or in the space of uh, communication with non-human intelligence that looked very much human. And so I was watching or listening, I should say, to this particular episode with Richard, and it just spawned this idea. And the question came back uh, indirectly related to this particular show. Are some people wired for paranormal encounters? Now, my uh, I contend, I have said all along that I believe that the majority of individuals on this planet have had an experience or two with what might be deemed the paranormal. But for the time being, we'll call these one-off experiencers. So we can we can dub these people one-offers. Where I am calling, if there is such a thing, individuals who have an habituation toward these encounters, serial experiencers. <laughs> Love the labels, right? But uh, just for the sake of argument, so we can get into this discussion. uh, As we know, the term experiencer has more recently been relegated to the idea of individuals that have had contact with uh, extraterrestrial or what I like to call non-human intelligence. So it's been sort of uh, framed within a very narrow, uh, not narrow necessarily, but a a certain field of study, that being ufology. But I'm going to use this term a little bit broader to uh, to denote experiencers of a whole range of anomalies, 
throughout life. That would include, that would include, of course, uh, what are called extraterrestrial or uh, non-human intelligence, but also ghostly encounters, uh, encounters of, uh, oh gosh, parallel dimensions, missing time, you name it. There's a whole range of experience. And I, I want, what I want to do is jump right in by sharing. I really wanted to give this a little bit of thought and organize this a bit in looking at going with the assumption that perhaps there's a portion of our population that is indeed wired, I use that term, habituated to having these encounters on a regular basis. But I thought, okay, if that is the case, the the next obvious question is, well, why and how? And so what I decided to come up with, folks, are three general areas that these individuals, I'm actually going to cite three examples, three different individuals, three different categories, if you will, that they might fall into that would act as a a trigger or impetus for these types of individuals having these experiences. One being, I'm going to get right into this, one being psychological. Now, what do I mean when I say psychological? Of course, we're talking about a mental state of mind, emotional state. And in this case, I'm going to be uh, illuminating the idea of trauma as a psychological state and possible uh, reference point for people that tend to have, uh, people that have withstood trauma at some point, particularly in early, early on in their uh in their youth, uh, because this has been talked about uh, as having uh, perhaps a, a higher level or more frequent paranormal experiences. So that's one aspect. We'll call it the psycholo- psychological aspect. The second aspect I'm going to very loosely call the biological aspect. Now, I wanted to really think about, again, in using labels, I don't want to mislead, but in my, for my own frame of reference, and then later going into some of the individuals that I feel fit within these general aspects. Uh, I wanted to come up with something very simple, and yet there's there's crossover. I'm going to illustrate that a little bit with these individuals perhaps having uh, a bit of a psychological framework as well as a biological. So in this uh, instance, I'm going to use biological to include previous incarnations, possible DNA structure, or let's just say differences in DNA structure, and again, carry over from perhaps a previous incarnation, a biological carryover. Okay, so we've got psychological, biological, and number three, the third aspect is the intergenerational, uh, which obviously has a, a, a possible, well, a definite biological component, a certain strain of gene that may carry over from one generation to the next. What I'm talking about are families that are known to have prolific and prolonged and repeated paranormal experiences. And I'm going to give you an example of that. I also want to uh, take this opportunity to note that uh, my friend Mary Rodwell, a UFO researcher as well, excellent research with regard to the star seeds and uh some of the incredible data that she's amassed really feels herself that within the context of contact with uh, contact experiences, contact with ETs, uh, are perhaps the result of an intergenerational, not the result of, but she's finding an intergenerational component to this. She's very adamant about that. This is really cropped up in her research. So, so those are the three 
aspects that I want to look at. And so now what I want to do is get into three real life examples. These are individuals that I personally know that have shared stories with me over the course of time. Uh, there are three individuals, one, each one will fit into a different aspect, according to my hypothesis. Again, I want to be very, very uh, straightforward about saying that this is, <laughs> this is not an academic study, but really just sort of amusing over if there is such a thing of, as people who are wired to have paranormal experiences, do they happen to fall into one or another or maybe a crossover of characteristics, psychological, biological, and intergenerational? So without further ado, let's talk about number one. And by the way, I am not using these individuals' real names. We will use the the following names to protect the innocent. <laughs> let's talk about who I'm going to call Michael. Michael is somebody that I have known for years and years. In fact, I, will, I can say that Michael was uh, someone who I worked with. Uh, he was a stylist that, uh, that uh, did styling for me in my early broadcasting days, hairstylist who I've known for many years. And as one might imagine, sitting in a stylist's, whether makeup artist or hairstylist, whatever, in that person's chair for over years, uh, for, for hours sometimes at a time, getting ready for a show or whatever, Michael shared with me a cornucopia of experiences going back to, we're talking early days of broadcasting, so I'm talking late 80s, early 90s, where I was not clearly very interested in the subject matter, but had not yet jumped into this as my professional uh, vocation in terms of uh, being a journalist. However, I would take mental copious notes of some of the stories that he told me. And the first thing I would say is, why does he seem to have all these experiences all of the time? So this this is a gentleman who's now mm, probably in his late 40s, I would say, maybe even touching 50 who has had a multiplicity of strange encounters. I'm going to give you three just little tidbits, little snapshots that he shared with me. And then we're going to get a little bit into what my thought is on Michael and why he may be wired. Here's one. And by the way, these are not necessarily in order and they are only a snapshot of the things he has told me. He's really stood me on my ear with some of the things he's told me. But here's one. He talked about... Uh, when he was a child, I'm going to say maybe, oh, three, four, maybe five years old tops. He was in his room and I believe, no, he's not an only child. He has, he actually had uh, siblings, but uh, he may be the firstborn. So at the time he was an only child, let's say. And he te- he's telling me a story of when he was in, he was, you know, like many kids do, they'll, they'll be playing with their toys in their bedroom. And all of a sudden he looked in front of him and saw another, what he described as, quote, another version of me who came into the room. I don't know. I can't recall whether he said that this child, this duplicate, essentially, even a doppelganger, you could could describe this uh, child as, just kind of showed up, uh, you know, materialized. I can't recall exactly how, whether you walk through a wall, we've heard of these things before, but let's just say this child appeared in his room, Michael's room. And I, uh, please forgive me, this has been years since he told the story, but I want to say there was a verbal exchange. 
maybe it was a telepathic exchange and he was so young at the time, maybe he doesn't recall, but some sort of a communication between the two where the, the duplicate child said, Michael, would you like to play? I, I know this is sounding super creepy, but this is what he told me. And he's looking at, now again, we're talking about a kid, three, four, maybe five years old. So the processing is not going to be in an adult way. Uh, maybe he just saw the child and thought, oh, a playmate, not really putting it in context and thinking, how the heck did you get here? But he said, this is the kicker. When the child, I I can recall him telling me this and I was so creeped out. When the child opened his mouth to, I suppose, speak, he noticed that the child's teeth were almost like razors, very uh, uh, hideous looking. So he said that this child looked exactly like me. In fact, it was in the same little play outfit or maybe pajamas, uh, exactly, except for when the child opened his mouth. And that's when he knew something was drastically wrong. Would you like to play? He said he went flying, <laughs> went flying out of that room like nobody's business, went downstairs, said, Mom, there's a, there's a kid in my room and he, he's strange and I don't know what. Well, I'm not going to get too much more into this because, frankly, I can't remember that many details. But interestingly, this happened in the same uh, home uh, where uh, I I happened to be at the time talking to him. And his mother was present. And he said to me, Alexis, you can ask my mother. She remembers specifically. And she came downstairs and I said, Mrs. Blah, 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 uh, not mentioning her name. Did so-and-so, not that I didn't believe him, but it would be interesting to hear what she had to say. And she said, Alexis, absolutely. I remember the day like like no other because I actually had a friend over and he, Michael came running downstairs to say, mom, this little kid is in my room. And apparently the mother is, uh, fortunately, was very open, still is very open to this individual's multiple experiences. So uh, needless to say, uh <laughs> This is this was a very real experience to to Michael. Okay, let's move on to the other because I've got two more stories of his and then two more other individuals that I'd like to to talk about. That's experience number one. Another experience that he relayed to me. uh, And again, this happened many of these, not all of them, but many of his encounters happened uh, either in early childhood into adolescence and teen years, all the way up to adulthood. But this one, I want to say he was older maybe an adolescent, say 11, 12 years old, where, and I'm going to try to go quickly here. He happened to be staying, I believe, with his grandmother uh, for the weekend, uh, or grandparents. And uh, they lived in the city, uh, in sort of a city dwelling, uh, apartment dwelling. And he, uh, I don't know what he was doing at the time, but something caught his attention. And he happened to look out of his grandmother's window glanced across the street to another apartment complex and was able to see some sort of activity going on in an apartment across the street. Windows open. Okay, get ready for this, guys. This one I'll never forget him telling me. None of these, but this one in particular really stood out to me. He looks in the window and he notices a group of individuals, adult, uh, a group of adults who seemed to be conducting some sort of strange ritual. Now, we've heard of this before, ritual, ritualistic practices uh, in, in the population. Not going to obviously go into all of the nuances there, but he witnessed this. Uh, 
a bunch of people, I, I'm trying to think of how graphic I want to get because there was some strange stuff going on. A group of people in a circle going through some ritual uh, practice. Here's where this gets weird. He said there was an individual who happened to be uh, naked in the middle of the circle. He's watching this out the window, just dumbfounded, obviously. Some sort of dancing or swaying motion going on with the individuals in the circle with this female who was without clothes in the middle, also moving in a circular manner. I, I don't know. I, I wasn't there, obviously, so I can't say exactly what happened. But over time, and I don't know how how much time passes, he's witnessing all of this. He said that out in the, in the middle of the circle emerged, get ready, folks, this monstrous, hideous looking being. He witnessed this. Let's assume at the culmination of the ritual, a being emerged in the middle of the circle. I still shake my head because at the time he told me this, I thought, are you kidding me, Michael? I mean, really? But yes, he, this is what he told me. And he said, and obviously he was, he was cut to the quick. He was shocked. I don't know whether he jumped, he ran. He didn't run because here's what he told me. He said that as he's looking at this hideous creature emerging seemingly out of nowhere in the middle of the circle, the being, the entity then looked toward Michael, as if he knew he was being watched, the entity turned his head, whipped his head right around and looked right at Michael. And then Michael ran like heck, of course. And the next thing he knew when he had the courage to come back to see if anything was going on, he had noticed that this party across the street had then closed their curtains and they were black curtains. Okay. You know, I have uh, thought to go back and talk to him years later about this particular experience because I've since heard similar stories that really raise an eyebrow as to the validity of these sort of ritualistic uh, uh, experience, rituals, I should say, just ritualistic uh, parties and things that emerge from them. Okay, well, this is the second story. I'm going to leave this one, go to the next one real quick. That I'll let you chew on that one. That still just creeps me out as I even as I recount it for you. The third incident that Michael uh, told me about, among many others, of course, had to do with his, in this, in this case, he was with a friend. I believe at this point, he was an adult, as I recall. He was Working with this individual, uh, I believe at a salon at the time, and took a break with his friend, colleague, and decided to take a walk in a nearby park. He, as they were walking, he noticed what he described as middle-aged Asian woman, dark hair, with a little dog. The Asian woman then turned, they, they, by the way, they found something very strange about, something called their attention to look at this woman and the dog. But they found something quite strange about the whole affair, let's just say. And she's walking her little dog. And next thing you know, they turn their head away, turn back, and the Asian woman is gone. Just poof, gone. But the dog is there. 
as if to as if the woman left the dog. Now, this isn't a snap second. So the only reason why he was telling me this is because he said, Alexis, this wasn't someone that just decided to dump their dog and walk away. I mean, it was instantaneous. We snapped our head in one direction, looking in one direction. And then when we looked back, the woman was gone and the dog was yapping and running around like, where did my, where did the woman go? Where did my mommy go? Where did the owner go? And the dog came running over to Michael and uh, the person that he was with, whimpering as if to say, where did she go? I can't find her. Okay, fast forward. Uh, and again, I'm trying my best to recall the details. All of these stories, by the way, have many more components, but I want to get to the point. So I'm running through these rather quickly. Uh, as they, I suppose, befriended the dog, started looking around to see where the woman went, nowhere to be found. Michael told me that almost as if, like like the little boy that showed up in his room, the Asian woman materialized in front of them, smiling as if to say, you witnessed this. And then she took her dog and walked off. Okay, I just gave you three very short and I almost feel like I'm jipping you guys because they deserve all of them. We could we could center conversations around each of them, but uh, in in this particular case, uh, I'm going to just kind of fly through here because I I want to get to the point. So we're clearly talking about an individual who has had a propensity for strange experiences. Uh here's where I want to go with this. I've often wondered. Because it is, as far as I can remember, I, I've known him the longest and he's the one that's told me the most stories over the longest period of time. And I have always asked myself, why him? What's going on? Is he magnetizing these things? And if so, why? So let's go back to this idea of aspects and the why to these ex- certain individuals perhaps being wired to these experiences. Remember, we earmarked a psychological component, a biological component, and an intergenerational component. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if I were to, based on what I know of this individual, choose one of the three, I would pick psychological. I have absolutely no concrete basis for this, but I do know this individual. I have known this individual for quite some time. And I do have a sense that this person may, just may, have withstood some form of trauma as a child. I'm not going to go into any more detail with that. I just, again, going out in a limb, I need to be super careful here. But for the purposes of trying to delineate or... I don't want to, Lord knows, I don't want to say put in a box because I don't know that any of these things, there's this crossover aspects with all of the individuals that I mentioned, the, the three individuals that I'm uh, going to be bringing up here. But I do have a sense based on some other things that I know about Michael, that there may have in fact been some abuse, some trauma um, at some point in his life at, in, at an early age. Maybe it was bullying, childhood bullying. I don't know. But I'm going for the sake of, again, illustrating that there may be some early onset or impetus to why certain individuals have what we call serial, what I'll call serial experiences, one being a psychological component. Uh, This could be the case here. Again, we've heard of this uh, 
this this sort of parallel before. I know psychologists have looked into this. I don't know to what extent, because I think when it comes to paranormal encounters, there's a definitely a poo-pooing of the validity that these these sorts of things uh, happen or, or are valid to begin with in the field of psychology. In fact, I had recently looked at uh, an article. Um, I don't know if I want to mention the name of it because I'm going to make some assumptions here, but a paper that was published back in 2015 in a pretty well-known psychology uh, publication that wanted to get into the psychoanalysis and the cognitive, sort of the cognitive aspects, the neurosciences, uh, really looking at some data to substantiate or look at the causative factor for people uh, that have psychological issues is how they frame it for these anomaly uh, anomaly they call it anomaly prone personality people that have these sort of serial uh, experiences so again just touching on that I know that's been brought up in uh, the field of psychology looking for a, a possible uh, explanation according to the field of psychology uh, more likely than not dismissing the validity of paranormal phenomena to begin with. So that not going to get into that, but I do want to just, again, elucidate that this is one area that we might look to. Uh, And when I say psychological, I'm not just talking about trauma. Of course, that's the first thing that came to mind as I was thinking about Michael and that possible push or not push, but possible door opening based on what I think may have been some, let's just say some tumultuous, a tumultuous period in, in his early years. So that's aspect number one and example number one. Let's move on to number two. And I know I'm going to go over today, but I hope you all will indulge me because I, I think this is just an interesting thing. And let me just remind you, as always, I, I do appreciate your way in, your own stories, uh, however they may be, or your, your ideas on, could it be that uh, certain individuals are wired for these sorts of experiences. Let's move on to number two. Um, And again, what I'm doing is taking each aspect and marrying them with an individual that I feel may fit into, at least loosely, the aspect. We're going to cover now the the biological. And this is another individual, not her real name. I'm calling her Lori, who I haven't known that long. I've known her several years now. And uh, she was uh, nice enough to give me an interview, not for broadcast purposes, but when I was doing a story on uh, such uh, her encounters. Uh, I believe it's still on the website. If I can find it, I'll make sure to link it here. But uh, for for the sake of this conversation, I'm calling her Lori. Uh, This is an individual who was nice enough. And by the way, it took me a while to get her uh, to go on record and tell me some of uh, the things that had happened to her, not the least of which, actually, I think I'm not going to bring that up right now. I'm going to move into where I think this has a biological connect point. I'll tell you that in a minute. But essentially, Lori uh, shared, a, a mul- once again, a multitude of experiences, at least three, again, that I can bring up. Actually, I'm not going to get into the stories. I think I'm just going to identify because this will take so long if I get into into uh, to all of the anecdotes like I did with, with Michael. But she, let's just say, she has had repeated what we call shadow people or shadow being encounters. She, she named several uh, homes that she has lived in in different parts of our, the country in, in the United States. 
And in each case, there were either shadow being uh, presence on a, on a regular basis, uh, some homes that she lived in. I don't know why she traveled so much, whether she was married to someone that was in the military or I, I don't know, I can't recall. But for whatever reason, she uh, hopped a bit, you know, around the country living in different places. Uh, so shadow being encounters, houses that uh, seem to take on more of a traditional, if you will, haunting aspect. Um, she talked about, uh, you know, in, in the uh, presence or presences, uh, multiple presence that she witnessed in her home, whether in uh, physically seeing them or seeing some sort of a, a visual or hearing uh, her children being harassed by these individuals. I can't, and again, I, I don't know that I can even recall specific stories. I have to go back into my, into my own research and look at them, but they were stunning, all of them. But again, all throughout her life. She has also talked about and again, going back to the Richard Dolan interview that I did with individuals who told him stories about uh, having strange encounters with very human looking individuals that they just felt were not human. She too, Lori also relayed a story to me uh, or two about being in public and having either just v witnessing an individual that she knew was not human or even uh having an exchange with uh, a couple of individuals. And she said, adamantly, Alexis, I know these people are not human, even though they appeared to, to look human. So again, we're talking about a whole bunch of strange experiences, anomalous encounters, and even just the hypersensitivity of recognizing when something is out of sync in the environment, including people that she's uh, encountered that she felt uh, was not human. I find very interesting. Now let's get to the let's get cut to the chase on this one as well. I'm sort of marrying her to the biological aspect, and here's why. The story that she, that I wanted Lori to give me has to do with uh, a regression, a past life regression that she had had many years previous. I think she was probably in her early twenties, if that. I think she was actually because at the time she said she was pregnant. Uh, with her first child. But here's the deal and where, where I'm getting this biological aspect from. In the regression, and again, forgive me because I'm going to just throw this out at you without going into a lot of detail. In the regression, she discovered, based on listening to her own regression on tape after it was complete, that she herself feels that she lived at least one previous life as a non-human entity, call it extraterrestrial for the sake of argument. This is why I wanted the interview with her, obviously. At the time, I had just started working with Mary Rodwell. And uh, so I, I obviously was very interested in this sort of material, this sort of uh, 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 background. Uh, yes, much to her amazement, because what brought her into a regression scenario to begin with had nothing to do with her having a sense that something was wrong, or even the fact that she had had some paranormal experiences. But uh, again, much to her amazement and surprise and bewilderment after having the regression and listening to the regression, which revealed details of her living on other planets or in, in other dimensions, perhaps, 
even the cadence in her voice changed drastically as she's retelling this in the regression, which she got to witness when listening to the playback. If this is the case, this is a hypothesis and I'm going out on a limb. Could some individuals who are uh, perhaps uh, it's revealed to them that they lived in previous incarnations as non-human be carrying carrying over uh, that DNA structure in a, in, a, in their present life. And again, I I don't want to speak out of school because I'm not a scientist in any way, shape, or form. I'm really just trying to pl- pluck out aspects that are just kind of eyebrow raising, frankly. Is there a biological carryover from the previous incarnation in which not only did she encounter non-human intelligence, but she claims to have been non-human intelligence, which would make perfect sense to me coming into this incarnation and having uh, this blanketed, I would say, her whole life uh, having encounters that would be considered paranormal. I would dare say yes, quite frankly. And I get, I know, I realize that I'm oversimplifying this, but I think that that's just a very interesting connect point to all of this. Here's the other thing I want to add uh, as we move into the third component being intergenerational. I, I saw Lori recently and, you know, it's so funny. <laughs> Once people realize this, the sort of work that I do in the field that I'm in, the subjects that I, I cover, they can't wait to see me again, lots of them, because there, there'll be more stories to tell. Because obviously, you can't talk about these sorts of things to your average uh, friend, family member, or whomever, certainly not stranger. But uh, so so when I ran into her recently, she says, oh, Alexis, I have to talk to you. There's more going on. My son is now having strange experiences. She didn't have time to get into what they were, but she said that she wanted to try to uh, get some feedback from me. I haven't had a chance to talk to her yet, but I'm going to make it a point to do so. But just in her telling me that made me think of the intergenerational component as well. Now, obviously, when we're ta- we're going to get into that n- next and final. Uh, the biological and intergenerational have some correlation, obviously, because there's there's genes being carried over. Uh, but in this case, we're talking about the possibility that the reason why she has this uh, this propensity to have these experiences may come from a previous incarnation in a very strange, what we would consider to be a strange environment, as she herself being non uh, non human entity. But also, as a result, the intergenerational aspect kicks in. I can't speak too much about that again, because I have not talked to her about what exactly her son is going through, nor uh, have I spoken to the son, which I'd like to do, actually. He's, I believe he's now a young adult. So that's that. That's number two. So we've now covered psychological, biological, and now let's move swiftly into intergenerational Here's someone else that uh, I'd like to uh, mention. I, I want to reiterate, not her real name. We're calling her Heather. Now, this is somebody who, let's just say, uh, works in the broad field of consciousness. I'm not going to drop too many hints here. I don't think you'd ever <laughs> guess who this person is. But let's just say that this is a person that uh, is involved in similar work, not necessarily in the paranormal, more on the consciousness side uh, who I happen to know through being in, in doing the work that, that we that we do. 
And it was recently at a conference that I ran into Heather that she felt the need to reveal a couple of things to 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 both me and my husband. So we had a little bit of time to steal away from the crazy schedule at this conference. And we went up to uh, my husband and I, our hotel room, and she sat and told us a whole bunch of stuff, uh, most of which I'm not going to reveal in this interview or perhaps or for that matter at all, but just the points that uh, that are relevant and in context to what we're talking about here. Cutting to the chase again, she revealed to me recently, she's got several children now. They're all uh, grown children. They're all adults now. But one daughter in particular, she believes to be alien-human hybrid. I was shocked when she told me. Now, again, I, there's no way I can get into the... Th- this conversation happened over the course of, I don't know, two, maybe three hours. Uh, but I'm just, again, cutting to the chase for the sake of time here. Uh, she gave me some very, very poignant examples of why she believes this to be the case. And I want to just note for the record, again, this is not an individual, though she is in the, the broader field of consciousness um, and, and other related subjects. The paranormal, as we often talk about it, is not really her forte. It's not something, and in particular, the, the, the field of ufology is not something at all that she has worked in. Though, you know, this is, a, this is a broad field. We're talking about the alternative and subculture of uh, these subjects. So that being said, she believes, believed and believes to this day that her child is not fully human. And here's one situation, very interesting, that happened to her that has led her, and there are others. I have since seen uh, pictures of this, uh, her daughter as a child And I have to tell you what I saw completely raised an eyebrow for me and just her appearance. But what she told me, everyone, is that when she was first pregnant with her daughter, I cannot recall how many months along, which she was pretty well in, maybe even well into her first or maybe even approaching her second trimester. And she recalls being in her bed at night and was awakened by something, I don't know what. And she looked up and she saw her ceiling open up. These are, I understand, extraordinary uh, and, and latent with, with high strangeness, just, just all of it. But this is what she told me. Ceiling opened up and as if a portal opened almost, she said. And what peeked through were, I believe she said two or three, what she described as looking like some form of gray, very typical looking gray beings, several of them, I believe. And she said she she cannot recall anything that happened after that initial sort of ceiling opening up. But she said, whether aloud or in her head, leave my child alone as if she knew the child would be taken. Well, fast forward, And again, I don't even know that she went into detail. She may have had some missing time because I don't recall her telling me uh, having any recollection of being taken or even the child being taken, but she knew the child was taken. Subsequently, she goes to her physician, her uh, uh, OBGYN, and the physician says, Heather, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're not pregnant anymore. 
you're not pregnant. Now, obviously, the physician was completely perplexed because, like I said, this pregnancy was not just an you know early onset. You know, it was, it's not like it could have been a miscarriage. I mean, I suppose anything could be, but the the pregnancy was so far along that this was clearly an anomaly going on. The child uh, now, obviously, Heather didn't get into details of what she thought happened to the physician in, in telling the physician, but she knew the child was taken. But at some point later down the road, the child, she was found to be pregnant, let's just say, again, re- pregnant with the same child. So in other words, the child disappeared and the child then came back. The doctor confirmed, no, you are pregnant. Well, needless to say, the uh, child was born with no apparent uh, physical issues that I'm aware of that she certainly didn't share with me if there were. Uh, I've, I've since seen pictures of her as an adult, and she's a beautiful young woman. But the bottom line is she feels that this child, during that visitation that she said she had, that the child was taken and perhaps uh, altered with non-human DNA and re-impregnated or reinserted in the mother and brought to full term. Now, in this case, I'm not going to give you three separate experiences. I'm going to just say these. this is inclusive of a number of strange experiences that she shared with me on this evening uh, quite some time ago now, within the last year. Uh, interestingly, now we're talking again about the intergenerational aspect here. Interestingly, this particular child now in her 20s, Heather told me, is having her own set of encounter strange encounters on a regular basis perhaps uh, encounters are being taken she says that her son also now an adult is speaking of a multitude of strange experiences but here's the thing one of the more disturbing things that she revealed to me is that her late father now late father uh, who she feels had been involved Military, I believe military background, but perhaps involved in some sort of experimentation. We've heard of this before, by the way, uh, military operation, um, covert operation. I, I don't know. I, and I'm jumping to a conclusion. I want to be careful about about this. But in it, the military connection is not even as much of a uh, focus for this, the purpose of this conversation, as is the fact that she said that her father in later years had been abusive to Heather and at one point threatened her life. And she does, in fact, feel that there is a connection with all of this, perhaps the military work and the strange encounters, her father. So once again, we're looking, you know, I wanted to illuminate the intergenerational component here where the daughter that she does feel to be an alien human hybrid of some sort but now the daughter's experiences, the son's experiences, and I believe she said yet another, right? She's got a pretty big family, quite a few children. Uh, and even alluding to the father, perhaps having some experiences that led him in sort of a strange direction. But the other crossover here, remember, we're talking about uh, multiple aspects that, that sort of intersect biological, psychological, intergenerational. Here, what I, what I take from this is there is an intergenerational component, certainly, 
but also a traumatic or psychological component with the threat from her father, even though it came a little bit later in life. I can't recall exactly when. I know her father's been gone for quite some time. All of these stories, guys, have some common threads in terms of their background. And and this is the thing that I find so extraordinary as I take in stories, and many of you have written to me uh, since, since the inception of Higher Journeys and the show and the website, uh, and again, I want to thank you for uh, for having the courage to share your stories with me. Some of you do them in a more public form, and, and many of you will email me privately with your incredible uh, multi-dimensional stories. But being the recipient of many of these stories, both given to me in person and in writing, I do see common threads. And one thing that I can say is that certainly there seems to be certain kinds of individuals that have... Uh, a propensity to have these experiences based on some set of characteristics. Today, we illuminated psychological, biological, and intergenerational, as well as crossover with each of these. In some cases, there may be all three. In some cases, in a couple that we talked about today, uh, there was both a, a biological and intergenerational, intergenerational and psychological. So, I guess my point here uh, for, for that is nothing happens in a vacuum. There's connection at all levels when you dig deep enough and, you know, go dare to go deep enough down the rabbit hole and so much more that uh, we certainly won't have a chance to get into today. But I'm going to get into this a little bit more. Again, I'm going to invite uh, each and every one of you, if you if you so desire, to share, uh, if you have uh, something that would contribute to this particular conversation, share with me. Uh, whether on email or through directly through this podcast. Okay, uh, I think I'm going to end there in making the point of a, yes, I do feel that some individuals, who knows how many, are magnets for paranormal encounters. And I do have a sense that there's a reason for it. Absolutely. So we're going to leave that there. Lots to chew in as always. Love to put the questions out there to have you guys go through your own musing or contemplative process. I know uh, it's it's fascinating for me. Before closing, I want to mention a couple of things, uh, both something uh, on a somber note and something uh, a little bit more uplifting, a lot more uplifting. Don't know if you have heard uh, that renowned paranormal writer, author of both fiction and nonfiction, and and, uh, researcher Brad Steiger passed away on May 6th. Uh, I know that he had been ailing. Uh, He was 82 years old, I believe, uh, after, uh, I don't know if it was a lengthy illness or something relatively short, but I had heard through uh, my, some of my network of uh, individuals that had worked with him, and in fact, were working with on some projects with him uh, relatively recently, but um, he in fact did pass away. Very sorry uh, to say uh, on May 6th, just a, a couple few short weeks ago. I never had a chance to meet him in person. However, we did communicate on email on several occasions. In fact, I recall uh, having communicated with him when I decided to come back into this field after, oh, about a 10 year hiatus, <laughs> having run a business with my husband and kind of went through my rolled X. And uh, uh, he was one of those individuals, one of many individuals that I had worked with uh, just briefly, uh, 
years before when I when I first got into this consciousness field, and just a, a gentleman through and through, and a, a very lengthy, beautiful marriage with his wife, Sherry, who I know my thoughts go out to Sherry and uh, his wonderful family. And again, didn't know them uh, at, at all well, but uh, Brad and I had an occasion to communicate on email a few times, and he's yet another individual that I had hoped to to have on the show that uh, I guess was not meant to be. But uh, as I, I feel with particularly our individuals who were so voracious in studying these subjects, I doubt very much that the journey for them has ended, but rather deepened even more. So Brad, may you have ex- an extraordinary journey and uh, discover ever more. Okay, so uh, bon voyage. Now, on a, a less somber note, and actually a, a, a good note, <laughs> I just want to remind you guys that I will be out at Contact in the Desert uh, June 1st through the 3rd. Actually, the, it's 1st to the 3rd, and then there is a post-conference on the 4th. This is Contact in the Desert, Indian Wells, California, all of your favorite speakers in the field of ufology and beyond. Uh, folks that have been on this show, folks that you know well, I'm just going to have you go right to contactinthedesert.com where you can get all the details. They're constantly expanding on uh, 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 details for this particular conference this year for the first year in Indian Wells, California, uh, now departing from its uh, signature location in uh, Joshua Tree. So this should be interesting. Uh, It's a resort in Indian Wells that I know promises to be both beautiful and uh, will offer, I'm told, some pretty amazing night skies. So hopefully we'll get a chance to do some sky watching while there. I know I will. I'm so excited. Uh, Of course, I'll be doing the show while I'm out there. Are you kidding? I wouldn't uh, squander that opportunity. We will be filming uh, uh, several shows while out there uh, with Linda Moulton Howe, of course. Uh, Grant Cameron, really excited about that one. We'll be talking about some some neat things that he's been up to in his research. And a new addition to the Higher Journeys roster of guests, John D'Souza, former FBI uh, investigator, I believe he's an attorney. They call him the X-Man. Got to find out what that's all about. But he's uh, Mr. Paranormal Extraordinaire, and I can't wait to talk to him. He's These are all three speakers, of course, at the conference. So we'll be doing sit-downs with each of them as well. I will be introducing uh, one of Linda Moulton Howe's talks. I will be introducing one of Grant Cameron's talks. And also I will be introducing Yvonne Smith, who uh, is uh, doing a couple of great talks. One will be a workshop, an experiencer workshop, uh, based on her stellar work with a group that she founded called CIRO, Close Encounter Resource Organization. So, Needless to say, I'll be quite busy while out there, but it'll be fun, as always, to reconnect with uh, those people that I absolutely love working with. So I hope I get to see you out there if you're planning on coming, uh, and if you can still perhaps snag a, a, a flight or a bus, uh, depending on where you are, and get some tickets, go to contactinthedesert.com, and you'll get all you need to know about this great uh conference upcoming in just about 10 days. All right. I know I'm well over, but I hope that you enjoyed uh, our little discussion today. And I hope it left you as always with (laughs) probably more questions than answers, but uh, left you with an interest in looking into these things more. Thank you as always for tuning in to Conscious Commentary and Higher Journeys. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Alexis Brooks here. Take care.